The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in its consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V, and he also serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. Yourself? Just the same, Father. Great, Great to be back again. Yeah, it's good to see you. Always. Yep. <laughs> Uh, prayer request to begin the program tonight, Father? Always. Uh, and too many to mention everyone by name, obviously. Um, but I, I do ask for prayers for uh, Paul Riley and his family, as always. Uh, Paul's still recovering from that uh, terrific accident. I uh, suffered uh, suffered a lot of uh, serious injury from that. And um, please also pray for the repose of the soul of John Sharp, a longtime traditional Catholic gentleman in his 90s, passed away uh, just last week, I understand. And please pray for his wife, Judith, also, if she survives him. Um, please uh, pray for Mrs. Vera Seiler. Mrs. Seiler uh, had a stroke. And uh, dear, dear friends uh, for many years. So, uh, and uh, great supporters of the program, too. We're very appreciative of that. Please pray for Jim, her husband, and, and Vera. Uh, Vera, we hope and pray, will be recovering from the effects of the stroke. Um, there are so many other intentions. They say it's impossible to name them all. If I tried, I'd take the whole program and more. But it's not necessary because I've commended them all to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. And if people, if everyone just would offer the prayers for those, uh, you know, entrusted to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, she knows who they are. And she will bless them and bless you for the charity of praying for them, too. Very good. Okay, um, I'd like to return to our uh, viewer email inbox tonight. Father, we have some great questions, I think. Uh, this first one um, is titled, Canon Law in Our Time. So this viewer writes in and says, Dear Father Jenkins, given the present state of Catholicism and the paucity of true traditional masses, I don't understand why you insist that traditional Catholics comply with certain laws, such as the one that requires the fulfillment of the Easter duty. Were not such laws written when the church was not embroiled in the current modernist crisis and therefore at a time when one could readily fulfill such a duty without going to extremes? As you know, some Catholics now live at a great distance from a mass that would be acceptable. So could you please comment on this idea, Father? Well, God does not require the impossible. And if it simply is not, not possible, reasonably possible, uh, 
they call morally possible to fulfill one's Easter duty, then one is not obliged to do so. One is not incurring any guilt by a failure to do what he finds impossible to do. Uh, I don't insist that one keep the, the church law where it is impossible to fulfill. Uh, but I think it is important to point out that where it is possible, morally possible to fulfill without great hardship and great inconvenience, then there is still an obligation to obey the church law and to fulfill one's Easter duty. By the way, for those who don't know what the gentleman is referring to, uh, the Easter duty consists of the obligation every Catholic has to worthily receive our Lord in Holy Communion during Easter time. That extends from the first Sunday in, in Lent to the uh, to Trinity Sunday, okay, which is a Sunday after Pentecost Sunday. So that that whole expanse of time, Catholics are obliged by law at some point to receive our Lord at least one time worthily uh, in Holy Communion. That's the Easter duty. Such that if one does not fulfill that obligation, that he's really not considered a Catholic, a practicing Catholic, and uh, be considered a fallen away Catholic. So that's a very minimalist requirement of the Church uh, to fulfill that Easter duty of receiving Holy Communion once worthily during that whole expanse of time. Um, how long is it? Well, you know, Lent lasts about. 40, 40 days of Lent, we say, you know. and then we have afterwards the 40 days from Easter Sunday all the way to Ascension Thursday, and then 10 days later we have Pentecost, and then a week after that we have 20 Sundays. So there's a very long period of time uh, from the first Sunday of Lent to Trinity Sunday, during which uh, one can, can easily fulfill the requirement of receiving our Lord if one is in the state of mortal sin, then one obviously would be obliged to make a good confession, receive absolution. <coughs> but again, this is the church's way of trying to provide for the, the salvation of these souls who may struggle even, even to fulfill the minimum requirement to be considered a practicing Catholic. Uh, but it's a requirement out of love and compassion for those souls, obviously. Uh, to try to, uh, as it were, incentivize them to do what they need to do for this, for the sake of saving their souls. Um, so, I mean, the obligation is a serious obligation. But again, I mean, no one is demanding that anyone do what is impossible. And if, if one finds it impossible, not only physically, but morally impossible, uh, because of the hardships involved, in uh, in fulfilling that requirement, the worthy reception of the Blessed Sacrament during that period of time, then God is not going to blame anyone for failing to do what he cannot reasonably accomplish. Simple as that, right? Okay. Uh, next email, Father. Since it is unacceptable for a Catholic to assist at Mass in the Novus Ordo, or from the Took line, and since the SSPX and Eastern Catholics accept the authority of Pope Francis, is the SSPV the only organization of Catholics in the world that has true sacraments and holds true doctrine and ecclesiology? If this is true, how is your position different from the Donatists who held that true doctrine was only held by themselves in North Africa? Well, 
uh, that's kind of a confluence of a number of questions. Uh, like who were the Donatists and what did they actually teach, right? Uh, the Donatists uh, believed, and then, by the way, that's D-O-N-A-T, not donuts. Not, they, they're not Donatists because they uh, survived on donuts, okay? That was not their religion. Um, but they believed that only a worthy priest, only a priest in the state of grace, could actually uh, validly confer a sacrament. So for them, if a priest was not in the state of grace, he couldn't consecrate the host validly at the Mass. He couldn't um, absolve validly in confession and so on. And, uh, of course, the Church uh, ruled against them and spoke the truth that the validity of the sacraments uh, do not depend upon the moral state of the priest in his own soul, <clears throat> because it is Christ, actually, who confesses the, the sacrament. Christ it is who gives the grace, and the priest simply lends his voice and his hands to perform the words, uh, to speak the words and perform the actions that together make up the, the form and the matter for the sacrament. And the priest brings the intention to, at least to do what the church does. Um, so th that does not, th those things do not depend upon the moral quality of the priest. Um, so uh, that doesn't really apply. I mean, as far as the donatists are concerned, we certainly are not donatists. And so far we, we, we contravene the teaching of the church on that subject. Uh, we certainly do not say that a priest has to be in the state of grace in order to validly confer a sacrament. Never said that. Um, if, if the questioner is saying, well, aren't you like the Donatists and saying that you're the only ones who got it right? And the answer to that question is no, uh, not account either. We, uh, we don't think we're the only ones who got it right. There are other uh, Catholic clergy in the world who... Uh, and then right, uh, in the sense that they understand the evils of modernism, they reject the new order, and they're trying to hold fast to the traditional practices of the church. Um, I am a member of the Society of St. Pius V because I believe the Society of St. Pius V effectively does that. It, is, it, is it not only holds to the true faith and... Um, and the true practice of the religion, our Catholic religion, I believe the Society of St. Pius V uh, does follow, in principle, uh, the, the tradition of the Catholic Church. Now, there are other groups that I, I would say, I don't think that they adhere that closely, all that closely, to the traditional practice of the Church. I think uh, there are other groups that do compromise and even go so far as to prove things that the, the Church approve things that the church itself has never approved, okay? Um, but, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that they don't have the faith and they don't confer valid sacraments. Uh, there are other groups that have the faith that do confer valid sacraments. It's just that I, I, I don't uh, see them adhering as closely as I would hope, and as, I, as the Society of St. Pius V does, in my mind, to Catholic tradition. That's all. Um, that's not being a donatist and saying so. Um, I, would, I would think that if any Catholic priest or 
um, clergyman of any any state, a deacon, subdeacon, uh, any, anybody who was ordained to the traditional Catholic holy orders, any of the orders, would um, adhere to the group, um, if you want to call it a, a group, that he believes actually is faithful to Catholic tradition. And so we can have some very interesting discussions uh, with clergymen of other groups. Um, but again, I, I would like to presume goodwill on their part that they, if they're with the Society of St. Pius X, or if there was some other traditional Catholic group, that they're there because they believe that they're adhering to Catholic tradition. Um, as I say, we could have some lively discussions on, on how well they adhere to Catholic tradition, but I'm not questioning their um, the state of their conscience, you know. I believe that they believe they're doing the right thing, okay? Um, so, um, I'm not sure exactly what the, um, if, if the, if the author of the question is saying, well, if, am I, because I, I adhere to the Society of St. Pius V, because I believe that they are following Catholic tradition, uh, in its integrity, am I anathematizing other groups? No. Do I point out where I think other groups are deviating from Catholic tradition? Well, yes, I do. Is this to say they don't have valid sacraments? No. I, I haven't said that, okay? Um, is this to say I'm anathematizing them and saying that they are not Catholic? No, <laughs> you know? Uh, I'm not sure, I guess, where our questioner is coming from on that. Maybe I'd need you to repeat the question too. So I can find, figure out what, maybe you can identify, Tom. Uh, do, do you see, am I addressing the actual issue of the question? Or is there something um, that I'm missing in that question? No, I think it's just a kind of a, um, a common uh, theme that you hear a lot that, uh, you know, so, some of the other groups may, uh, quote-unquote traditional Catholic groups may be a little bit more... Uh, I don't know, open to various traditional Catholic uh, positions. But, but uh, with the Society of St. Pius V, it seems that, um, you know, we will, um, you know, as we pointed out on the show so many times, the problem with the Took line, mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about the, some of the problems that we see with the Society of St. Pius X um, and other would-be traditional yeah. Catholic groups. And so I think a lot of times our uh, viewers can... Uh, I think just get frustrated when searching for a traditional Catholic chapel, and every time mm -hmm. they think that they found one, they find out that you know it, it's going to be a a took line or um, mm -hmm. and a society of Saint Pius chapel. Well, among the different groups claiming to be traditional Catholics, okay, I mean th there are those who, shall we say, I, I think deviate from the traditional Catholic practice. For example, if a, if a if a group claiming to be a traditional Catholic group. Uh, said that we will grant marriage annulments. I would say you're deviating from traditional Catholic practice because never has it been afforded to priests to hand out marriage annulments, or even, let's say, uh, traditional Catholic bishops who are not the magisterium of the Catholic Church and, and really don't claim to be the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, to grant marriage annulments. And so to claim that you can give marriage annulments, I, I, I say, would be a deviation. 
if, if you have a traditional Catholic group who says that Francis, for example, is certainly the Pope, and you cannot question that. You can't even question um, the possibility of that being so. And then, at the same time, you basically do nothing that he says, and you don't consider yourself to be obliged to obey anything he says, then I would say, well, that's, again, deviating clearly from Catholic teaching, because if you're certain that somebody is the Pope, you have to recognize that he has a certain authority, and you have to obey him in something. You can't, if you say that you can't obey him in anything, because everything he says is contrary to the Catholic faith, well, then automatically you have to raise the question, well, is he really the Pope or not? If everything he says is so contrary to the Catholic faith that you can't obey anything he says, uh, it, something has to give <laughs> one way or the other, you know. But if you say he is the Pope, the whole Pope, and nothing but the Pope, and you can't even question he's a Pope, but no, you really don't have to listen to him and obey anything he says. Well, that's contrary to the Catholic, very Catholic concept of the papacy. And to point out that that is an error, uh, again, is to do nothing but point out that somebody's making a mistake or they're in error, and you wish they'd kind of re-examine the question. Um, now, on the other hand, if somebody is doing something blatantly condemned by the church, absolutely, from the beginning, like, let's say you have a group where, um, let's say the bishop who, who kind of is the instigator of the group or the starter group um, is consecrating non-Catholics, bishops. Well, this is something that the church has always condemned. Um, I mean, even according to the old code of canon law, where there was a, uh, a penalty by law that a person who was accused of doing that or suspected of doing that, they'd be... Um, uh, you know, incur, incur an irregularity so they suddenly they couldn't function as a Catholic priest or Catholic bishop, so they were kind of sidelined or put a, you know, st they were told you cannot continue functioning until, until we settle this and find out what happened. Okay, maybe he wasn't excommunicated by law until after the investigation, and the investigation would find out he was guilty of that, and then they would excommunicate him. Pope Pius XII introduced through the Holy Office an automatic excommunication for doing such things in 1951, I believe. Prior to that, it was a suspension and so on until the investigation would find out the facts. And then, again, somebody for doing such a thing would be excommunicated for doing it. But in any case, I mean, if, if somebody were to do that, if you have, let's say, a bishop who supposedly is traditional Catholic in mind, and he starts some kind of traditional Catholic group, or at least he consecrates bishops that form a traditional Catholic group. But they look to him as their origin and hold him up as uh, the, the paragon of Catholicism, you know, their founder. And yet he was doing something that was always and everywhere condemned by the church, never approved. Well, then you'd have to say, we can't we can't go along with that. This is wrong. You know, this is antithetical to our role, our position, our, our principles, uh, being traditional Catholics. Um, that's not to say that people who actually um, 
adhere to those groups are in bad faith and they're all in the state of mortal sin. We can't judge them. And we don't even make, we don't even make the, uh, the pretense of judging them. Um, that's something only God can do. But to point out a manifest error uh, when it comes to something that is a departure from Catholic tradition or an actual negation and attack on Catholic tradition, uh, you, have, you can have to make a distinction between those two things. You know, people do things out of confusion uh, in some cases, but sometimes what they do are actually considered crimes uh, and condemned as crimes by the church. And consecrating non-Catholics uh, as bishops would be considered to be a crime against the Catholic faith. And that's, unfortunately, the case with Archbishop Took. Um, is it frustrating? Yes. Is it frustrating to hear? Uh, I'm sure it is with many people. Is it frustrating to say it? Yes, it is, actually. I wish that it were not so. Um, but the fact that it is so means that we can't just ignore it and pretend and turn a blind eye toward it. Toward it. Um, that would be itself a betrayal of Catholic tradition. Uh, to pretend it doesn't count, because it's, it's, it's a problem. It's part of the, the big problem today. The devil will cause these problems, and then he will offer the solution, but his own solution to the problems he's causing. And I think that's what he's trying to do to the traditional Catholic people, offer his own solutions, get them off track, uh, get them to be, let's say, defying Catholic tradition in the very act of claiming that they're defending Catholic tradition. So, uh, but I, I can't apologize for that. I, uh, uh, if it's the truth, I, I believe if people will look into it and examine the question, I think they'd find it is the truth. Uh, then they should be grateful for knowing it, for knowing the truth. Um, but I, I understand what you mean by the frustration because... Uh, Yes, there are things that appear to be very uh, traditional Catholic, but people will find out that uh, they're not as traditional as they first appear. Yeah. If they look into it a little bit, and they, uh, those, they have a choice to make then. Well, will I just kind of go along because this just is good enough? Or will I insist on being uncompromisingly traditional? That's, again, a choice people have to, have to make. Okay, very good. Um, Father, does the Holy Ghost choose popes? If so, the Holy Ghost has made a mistake in choosing Francis, who clearly is not an actual Catholic. But of course, it's absurd to think that the Holy Ghost could make any mistake. Thus, Francis, uh, we have two options, as Fuhrer says. Uh, Francis is a pope, but wasn't chosen by the Holy Ghost. Or, the second option is, Francis cannot possibly be an actual pope. Father, what do you think of the same reasoning? Well, uh, you know, you pray that the Holy Ghost chooses the Pope and enlightens the cardinals. The cardinals are just representatives, really, of the clergy of Rome. Okay? The College of Cardinals uh, was actually a kind of a legal expedient uh, that was developed about a thousand years after the, the Church had been in existence, right? And uh, it was actually the clergy of Rome who from the outset uh, chose Linus after St. Peter was martyred, and then Cletus, and then Clemens. And the clergy of Rome chose the bishop 
of Rome, who would then be consecrated and be, be the, the Pope. Okay? And this went on for centuries and centuries. That's actually the traditional Catholic practice. And that's very important for us to realize today because there are people who are saying, well, you know, um, if uh, Francis is not truly the Pope, then all of these cardinals he's making, he's making are not cardinals. And so they're going to be electing, choosing invalid popes in the future. And then there'll be no possible popes because those invalid popes will be appointing more invalid cardinals who will appoint more invalid popes. But they have to kind of press reset on that, realize, well, wait a minute, the cardinals <clears throat> uh, were created cardinals. They talk about creating a cardinal, so you make him out of nothing, you know? That's the old joke in Rome. But anyway, um, because really the, the electors of, of, the, uh, of the popes from the outset of the church were the clergy of Rome, you know? So if you had a valid clergy of Rome, uh, they would actually be the natural electors of the true popes. And we can't shut down that possibility or that avenue these days, you know, because God can use that. Um, but, it, 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 you know, especially for the, especially those who say, well, it's gotten to the point where we, we cannot admit that Francis, we cannot assume that Francis is a true pope because of the things he's doing. We can't just take it for granted that he must be a true pope. And so we see a problem there. And, but we say, but of course we, we say he has to be because if he's not, then there's no future to the papacy. And the, that is wrong. And that is wrong. To say that if Francis is not a true pope, it's cardinals are not true cardinals, and there's no future to the papacy. That is not true. As I say, the, the, the traditional... Uh, uh, electors of the true popes for the first so many hundreds of years for the, the, the Catholic clergy of Rome. And so, um, you know, we, we have to admit that possibility. I'm not sure exactly how that would work out, but then I, there are a lot of things. Nobody saw how the Council of Constance would work out. Nobody saw how Martin V would be chosen as the true pope, but he was. And by the grace of God, uh, the church escaped the, the snare, you know, as it were. Uh, for some people, it's as though the church escaped the tomb because they thought the church was finished, many of them at that, that time. They didn't see how the church should escape that, that uh, problem with the great Western schism. But anyway, that's another story. In any case, um, you know, we, we, we have to be careful when we start questioning these things because people can really get off the track. Um, does the Holy Ghost choose the Pope? Have there been unworthy Popes? Yes, there have been unworthy Popes. There have been weak Popes. There have been Popes who have, who have failed to fulfill their responsibilities to the Church. Um, have there been Popes who were personally immoral? Yes. Um, have people been excommunicated for saying that? Well, not really. No, I mean, um, uh, you know, you look at um, the Borgia popes. I mean, they, they have a history, you know, and uh, um, people have not exonerated them of, let's say, their licentiousness, although it probably has been exaggerated by the enemies of the faith at the same time. Um, but they never thought error. They, they never taught what was immoral 
as though it were moral. The problem is with Francis, we have him basically uh, presenting grave immorality as though it's not grave immorality. And uh, even justifying it. And that's scandalous. Um, so, you know, if you want to say that the Holy Ghost is responsible for all the popes that have ever been elected, uh, well, you, you could say that, in a sense, God is responsible for every crime that ever was committed because no, nothing could be done without God's consent, without God's what they call resigned will, because God has to sustain everything in existence so that it, and, and give it the power to act, you know? Uh, so if I were to say, well, God is responsible for every sin I ever committed because he easily could have prevented it. He kept me in existence. He gave me the power to act. I could be powerless to act without, without him. So in a sense, I, I, I would wrongly blame my failure on God. But, uh, God is not responsible for evil. Uh, evil is an abscess and an absence of God's perfections and the, the perfection that God wants to be there. I'm responsible for the abscess. I'm responsible for the absence of the perfection that God has wanted, has wanted to give me and been trying to give me. So, um, um, but it's true that no pope could accede to that position did God not permit it to happen. We can say that much, okay? Um, but you have, uh, you know, cardinals who elect these popes, and um, their motives, their failures, their weaknesses all enter into it. And uh, they held a terrible responsibility for that. Um, what do we say about the question of, you know, he asks, uh, either Francis is Pope who was not chosen by the Holy Ghost. Well, if he means by that, that Francis was chosen despite the graces that was given, that were given to the men who were choosing him, and they acted contrary to the graces that the Holy Ghost was given, and they chose someone himself who was, let's say, an enemy of God's grace and an enemy of the faith and an enemy of the church, that is very possible, right? In that sense, you could say Francis was elected, but he wasn't really the one designated by the Holy Ghost. He didn't have the faith and um, was not really in faith a Catholic, okay? <clears throat> or the other question was, um, or the other possibility is that he's not Pope at all. And there are many people who actually have, are coming to that conclusion, have come to that conclusion with uh, even subjective certitude, you might say, that they simply cannot see how um, someone who believes as Francis believes, speaks as he speaks, acts as he acts, uh, so at variance with the Catholic faith, how he can be a Catholic and how he can be a Catholic Pope. There are a lot of people who come to that conclusion. So if one were to say, well, which of these is true? Uh, one 
might, might actually say theologically either one of them could be true. Okay. And one could argue the point and make a case, perhaps either way. Uh, personally, I think uh, one can have, if you want to call it subjective certitude, that, um, that Francis does not have the Catholic faith, is not a Catholic, and was not the Pope to begin with. Um, I think we can all, maybe, I imagine a lot of people are agreeing right now, but he certainly wasn't uh, the candidate of the Holy Ghost, so to speak. I don't know. Yeah. I don't mean to speak out of turn here, or, uh, but I, I, I don't think that's a, an entirely outrageous assessment. Yeah. Okay. All right, Father, what is the connection between Freemasonry and modernism? Did Freemasonry spawn modernism, and is Francis a Freemasonic dream come true? Uh, well, if, if Freemasons have dreams instead of nightmares, I guess uh, that uh, he would be a fulfillment. Uh, I would say yes. I mean, you look back at the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita, um, that document that was discovered in the Masonic lodges of northern Italy back in the early 1800s, uh, a document which outlined a plan by the Freemasons of Italy to infiltrate the church and eventually control the election of a pope and to secure, quote, a pope according to their needs, okay? A man who would think like a Freemason, who would speak like a Freemason, and yet he, he would be a revolutionary against the faith, against the church, against God, that Catholics would follow, would follow that, that Pope, uh, who was the, you might say, the, uh, the creature of the Freemasons, right? The creature, he was created by the Freemasons for that role. And uh, as Nubius, that's, that's a, uh, the nom de guerre of the man who, who signed the document, um, said then the Catholics would follow him and even give their lives for him in, in pursuing the world revolution of the Masons, all in the name of the Catholic Church. Um, so yes, the Masons did dream of, uh, of, of Francis, and, and now they applaud him roundly. They make no, mis no secret of the fact that they love Francis, they applaud him, they approve of what he does. And... Um, you know, in that document, the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita, uh, Nupius, the head of the Freemasons in Italy at that time, even gave examples of those he considered to be, shall we say, unworthy popes, such as Alexander VI, Borgia. But he says that Borgia would not be the man the Masons need to be their Freemasonic pope. He said, uh, despite all of his personal faults, Alexander VI never betrayed the church. He never justified his own sins. Um, he never pronounced as being moral things that were immoral. So he didn't adulterate the faith in any way. And he defended the Catholic faith and the Catholic church in every way. And so uh, Nubius says that Borgia was not the pope they needed. For all, of his, for all of his faults and failures. But um, who, 
who would be a pope that they would need? Well, actually, Nubius named somebody. He actually named a pope who would be exactly what they needed. He said the pope that they dreamed of, the pope that they would work for, the pope that they would hope for and, and labor for night and day to achieve would be a Clement Fourteenth. His family name was Ganganelli. Ganganelli, uh, according to, to Nubius, the Masonic leader, would be exactly the pope that they would need again because they controlled him. He said they could control him by, by flattery, they could control him by threats that would uh, awaken fear in him. Again, that they could, uh, by, by making him fearful of their threats, by making him, you know, fawning uh, over their, their flatteries, they could control him. Uh, they said that they actually did. Uh, so Anubius was not just, uh, shall we fantas say, fantasizing. He said... They actually had a pope, uh, actually, who was someone whom they could control. And this time, though, he said they would need a pope who would so think like them that they, they kind of wouldn't even need to flatter him or, or strike fear into his heart because he would think like one of them. They would form him for this role. That's even more horrific, you know. That's what they dreamed of. Um, so in a sense that, yeah, uh, I think you can say that this was a masonry uh, dreamed of modernism. Freemasons dreamed of installing a modernist pope because modernism is basically, can, contains the principles of Freemasonry. It allows for the vocabulary of, of, of Catholicism. Talk about sacraments, talk about immaculate conception, uh, talk about grace, you can talk about all those things. But the, the ideas are all corrupted by the, the fundamental concept of what faith itself is. And in modernism, it is the antithesis of what faith means in Catholicism. Modernists have completely adulterated and perverted the very meaning of the word faith itself. Modernists speak of faith as Freemasons. You, you, I think you can say that the modernist concept of faith is the Freemasonic concept of faith. And that's where it all goes off the rails. Everything goes off the rails with it. That's why a you know, a modernist pope and a Freemasonic pope would be one and the same. That's why the Freemasons would applaud a modernist pope, because he would think like a, a dyed-in-the-wool Freemason and pursue the policies, uh, revolutionary policies of a Freemason. You study the concept of, moder of, of Freemasonic faith because it is a religion, and you see how it fits perfectly the, the notion of modernist faith, as St. Pius X explains it in his encyclical Pascendi, condemning the errors of the modernists. And again, St. Pius X says the modernist errors all go back to their redefinition 
of what faith is that arises from their false philosophies. And once you have redefined the very essence of what faith is, as he says, laying the axe to the very root of the faith, then everything falls with it. The entire tree comes crashing to the ground. <laughs> um, so I, I think the, asking the question, somebody's on the right track there and realizing that, yes, actually, modernism is really the fulfillment of the Freemasonic dream to gain control of the papacy by having someone recognized by Catholics as the vicar of Christ on earth, as the, the supreme pontiff, as the head of the church on earth, um, and yet he doesn't have the Catholic faith. He has the faith of Freemason. Freemason. He's a modernist. Did that answer the question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, okay. I think the next uh, logical question would be how to uh, we have these uh, modernists and Freemasons within the ranks of the hierarchy. How do we uh, how do we get them out? We had a, an email about that very question. Um, rather interesting email, Father. Let's see if we can work through this. Uh, he says that uh, this viewer says God in the Old Testament was very strict about not mixing the blood or religion of the Israelites with any others, and so he had them killed to avoid contamination. So Freemasonry is an evil religion with the intent to place Satan on the Holy See. Societies have created laws against the open killing of evil in the name of God to protect his people from the temptations of evil. We know there is evil within the hierarchy of Catholicism, the Freemasons. So what is the Catholic way we rid them from God's church? Well, I'm, I'm a little puzzled by some of the mode of expression there. To place... Satan on the sea, Catholicism? Is that to place Satan on the Holy Sea. On the Holy Sea, okay. Well, um, I, yes, I mean, I, I guess he could say to place Satan in the place of Christ, I guess. But the Holy See is, uh, you know, the, a human representative of Christ, the vicar of Christ, right? So, I mean, insofar as uh, he might say, yes, he wants the Antichrist to be on you know, to be recognized uh, in the place of Christ. Uh, I would agree with that. I, I'm, the, there are some theological issues with the, the mode of expression there that we'd have to avoid uh, getting into. Um, but if the, the fundamental question is what you started with, Tom, like, well, how, do we, how do we get them out? Yeah. Well, the problem is getting them out of the new order uh, you know, can you actually purge the new order of the moderns? Or are the modernists just taking such a stranglehold that the, that the new order is not the Catholic Church anymore? I mean, is that, is that possible? It's possible that they have succeeded so in infiltrating the Church with people who do not have the faith, who actually hate the faith and hate Christ, that that is possible that they actually have uh, succeeded in creating this separate edifice that has actually kind of hijacked 
and set itself up as the anti-church. There are those who say that's impossible. But uh, I think what the modernists have done really is tantamount to that. The, the, The point is, if you look at the Novus Ordo construct as one big non-Catholic structure that all these people have bought into, that this is like the modernist church, the, the church of modernism, then it's not a matter of driving them out of there and reclaiming, let's say, what's left of the Catholic church. It's a matter of simply going forward without them and just holding up to the true traditional Catholic faithful and clergy bishops we have now, you know, and saying, okay, this is uh, (coughs) those who profess the true traditional faith, those who practice the true traditional Catholic faith, they are really the ones who are carrying out the church right now and carrying on the church right now. (coughs) Some would say, oh, that can't happen. But then you say, well, we know that there will be a remnant R-E-M-N-A-N-T. I mean, we have that translation. That there will be a remnant uh, going forward in the history of the church who will hold on to the faith. What does that mean, a remnant? Well, it, it kind of necessarily implies the fact that there will be a great apostasy, a falling away, and there will be a remnant uh, selected out of grace who will hold on to the faith and will carry on the faith. So I don't see why people will, you know, continually insist, no, no, that can't be, that can't be, that can't be. And you say, well, wait a minute, look, what is divinely revealed is there will be an apostasy, a great apostasy at some point, a massive loss of faith, and there will be a remnant who will spiritually survive that revolution, and they will simply carry on the faith. So why is it so unacceptable to people Uh, Is it unacceptable to them because of their faith, or is it unacceptable to them because of their personal feelings on the subject, you know? Because there's nothing abhorrent to the faith. In fact, the faith itself tells us that this will happen. So when I'm positing this idea of the traditional Catholics who still hold the traditional Catholic faith, and they're still practicing the traditional Catholic faith, as the ones who are carrying on the traditional Catholic Church as well. This seems to be perfectly in line with the idea of the prediction of a great loss of faith and that there will be a remnant who will still hold on to the true faith. Now, some may say, well, you are therefore wiping off the map, the Catholic map, all of those who go along with the Novus Ordo. And in fact, that's not true, though. Because... Day after day, there are continually people escaping from the Novus Ordo and, and either coming back to the traditional Catholic faith of their childhood or finding it anew who, who never had it. But they discover and they recognize immediately that's the true Catholic faith. I knew there was something wrong, and that's the true Catholic faith. I mean, this, this weekend I'll be baptizing four people. Uh, some of whom who have already left Protestantism, gone to the Novus Ordo because they realized that Protestantism was not true, but now they realize the Novus Ordo because of the seeds of Protestantism within it. That's not true either. They've actually found their way to their traditional faith. And these are young people. 
So, uh, and um, as I say, not a Sunday goes by that we don't see new people here. And I'm sure that's true of traditional Catholic masses throughout the entire country. They see an influx of people who are finding their way, like people in a shipwreck, who find their way to solid ground. So, uh, no, we're not writing off all those good people out there who kind of feel trapped by the Novus Ordo. Uh, Let me, if you don't mind, and I know you don't mind, you're very patient about this, we have an event coming up right here in Norwood, in little, little Norwood, okay? At a little park nearby our own church, where our kids play, our children go to play there. And in that little park, there's going to be an event this Sunday. And it has gained a great deal of notoriety. It's been published on LifeSite News, which has a great following, and many other venues too. Jim Caviezel is going to be there, and he's going to speak. Uh, General Michael Flynn is going to be there, and he's going to speak. Uh, Abby Johnson is going to be there. She's one of the speakers. There are others too. It's, but they're not there primarily to speak. They're there to pray. And they are going to pray the traditional 15 decades of the rosary. And that's the purpose, really, the primary purpose of getting everyone together. (coughs) Why are they doing this? Why are these people, possibly thousands of people, going to converge on this little patch of park in little Norwood, (coughs) Ohio, just a couple blocks away from our church and school? (coughs) They're coming here because they see the state of Ohio is at risk. It is being threatened. (laughs) And the fact that Ohio is being threatened means that the entire country is also under threat. There's a ballot initiative facing the people of Ohio right now. They're going to vote on it on August 8th. It's coming up awfully fast. And that ballot initiative would make it harder to amend the Constitution of the state of Ohio. And uh, all of the conservatives are saying we have to vote yes on this initiative. We have to protect the Constitution. From who? From the Communist Party of the United States of America. The Communist Party USA wants everyone to vote no on that ballot initiative. Planned Parenthood, which is nothing but, uh, you know, the, the, the plentiful perversion, PP. Planned Parenthood is locking arms with the Communist Party of America to say, vote no on this initiative. The National Education Association is locking arms with Planned Parenthood and the Communist Party of America to say, vote no on this initiative. The ACLU, they're all partnered together in saying vote no on this initiative. And why? Because they see the Constitution of the state of Ohio as kind of low-hanging fruit. They think that because the requirement to change the Constitution of the state of Ohio is so low, that they can actually pour money into Ohio, pour influence into Ohio, and convince the people to approve of abortion until birth. They think they can get that in the Constitution of the state of Ohio, that they have a constitutional right in Ohio to abort children right up to birth. 
they think that they can get the state of Ohio to promote and write it into the Constitution of Ohio the right to transgender and to transgender children without parental knowledge or consent. They think they can get around parental rights by taking it right into the Constitution and giving people the right to do that in spite of parents and taking all rights of parents to involve themselves in these questions for their own children. And this is just the beginning. They see that they can basically ram anything through. I mean, with George Soros' money, look at all he's done already. With the influence that they can get or buy over politicians and so on. And the media, flooding the media with messages. Uh, they, can get, they can convince Ohioans to vote. And remember, their big tool is the lie. That's their big weapon. Lie about it. Say, vote, won't, vote no on issue one to protect the Constitution of the state of Ohio. When their designs are to change it precisely, to write into the Constitution of the state of Ohio all of their rights of perversion. And uh, to take away the rights of parents in Ohio over their own children. This is the truth of it all. That's why Jim Caviezel is coming to a little Doral Field in Norwood, Ohio. Right? That's why we're hoping that thousands of people will actually come to pray the rosary. Now, you look at Jim Caviezel. I believe he's a man who has the faith. And I believe he's a man who actually has a certain love for our Lord. I believe that General Michael Flynn is a man who has the Catholic faith and that he has a certain love for our Lord. But I mean, I believe that these, you know, to a certain extent, I think they're being held captive by the Novus Ordo because they, I mean, it's very confusing for people. Well, isn't, I mean, isn't that the Catholic Church? And how is it possible? And I think they all know. I think that everybody who shows up in Doral Field to pray the rosary this Sunday, August 6th, Beginning at 3 o'clock in the afternoon is when the program begins. This Sunday, August 6th, Doral Field in Norwood, Ohio. They have the program started. And we're all going to be there praying the, the entire 15 decades of the rosary. I think everybody who comes there basically will go there because each and every one of them has the faith. The Catholic faith. And they realize there's something terrible happening to our country. And they realize something terrible has happened to the church. And many of them are just going to be real confused. What do we do? How is this happening? Why is this happening? And that's why I think traditional Catholics really need to be there for those, those people. Right? I think uh, those who really have an understanding of what's happening, and I think it's the traditional Catholic faith that really enables us to really understand what's happening. I think they have a very important role to play, you know, in helping people find their way through. Uh, these people know enough to hold on to the rosary and uh, to pray it, and uh, I believe in many cases very devoutly, sincerely. So uh, I think it imposes an obligation on traditional Catholics uh, to um, be there. So no, I don't write all those people off, quite the contrary. You know, there are a lot of people out there who every day are coming to us, who by some miracle still have the faith in its integrity. And somehow they managed to survive, their faith managed to survive the Novus Ordo. Not because of the Novus Ordo, but in spite of the Novus Ordo. 
They still have the faith. So we need to help them to come back to practicing the traditional Catholic faith. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I say that just to illustrate my point, that we're not just writing everybody off. But quite the contrary. It's kind of a rescue mission uh, to try to, to you know, uh, address ourselves to those who still have the faith and say, look, if you, real, if you are uncomfortable in the Novus Ordo because you still have the traditional Catholic faith, you see a contradiction there. And you should, what you have to do to escape that is to practice the traditional Catholic faith in its integrity. That's the only way to resolve that contradiction between faith and practice, the faith you have in the practice of the Novus Ordo. Come back or begin for the first time to practice the traditional Catholic faith attend lovingly, gratefully, the traditional Catholic Mass offered by a real traditional Catholic priest, not a compromiser uh, with modernism, and receive the traditional Catholic sacraments in the traditional Catholic Roman rite. You know? And then, finally, you'll be home. Finally. And you won't have to be living with this constant contradiction. So anyway, Tom, uh, I, I, again, I don't know that it really answered the question you've got in front of you, but uh, maybe you came close. Maybe it came close. <laughs> For somebody, anyway. But, no, that's very good, Father. Um, perhaps we can end with that, Father, and we have a, just a, a couple more emails that we did plan to get to tonight, but maybe if you're okay with it, we can plan to start the next program with us. All right, well, let's, let's be sure we do. Okay. Um, are there something we can address? H have we had those questions on hold for a while? Yes, uh -huh. Uh, if I promise to be brief, do you think we can uh, sure. make an attempt? Sure, we could do that, Father. Mm -hmm. uh, Father, did our Lord ever lose any of the five senses during his passion? Did our Lord lose any of the five senses of the body during the passion? Uh, sense of sight, hearing, smell, touch, taste, yep. sound? Um, no. No, in fact... Uh, all of the external senses of the body of our Lord were uh, tormented by his passion. He had to suffer them all. Uh, so they, they were not taken away. I wonder what prompts that question. Um, but no, I think quite the contrary. Um, I think all of those five external senses of the body of our Lord were... Um, used to, to torment him. And he accepted the suffering of all of those. So uh, that's my brief answer. Okay. Uh, dear Father, if the United States were to end up taking part in the war with Ukraine and Russia, would we as traditional Catholics be obliged morally under pain of mortal sin to comply with a draft or a military callback of any recently discharged military personnel if they implemented such for the war? Uh, the viewer says, I have not looked into the moral theology behind it, but my first inclination and reasonable conclusion is not at all unless the American homeland was itself under invasion or attack. Considering once you report to any military institution to start the intake process, that makes you subject to the UCMJ and everything they wish or desire to do with you, no matter what you or the Catholic Church thinks or says about any order they wish to give. I appreciate your take on that. So the UCMJ is the Uniform Code of Military Justice, right? So, yeah. so if you report, you're subject to that, and they can do anything they want to. Right? Yep. The question is, are you obliged, if you're called up, 
to go fight in the Ukraine? I would say no. Morally obliged? No. No. That's my brief answer. Wow, okay. And I'm morally obliged to fight in the Ukraine. Yeah. Um, if you're called up. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are civil penalties and, and, you know, so on that you have to be ready to deal with. But yeah. if you're asking, would it be sinful for me to, to say, to refuse, I would say it wouldn't be a sin for you. And ordinarily, I mean, we're obliged by the virtue of justice to defend our country. And this uh, person says, I'm, I'm ready to defend my country. Yeah. Uh, but would it be a mortal sin for me not to answer a call to go fight for the Ukraine? Uh, for whatever motive uh, the present regime has, and the answer is there's no moral obligation to do that. Right? Mm. Okay. <clears throat> Was there one more? There's one more, Father. Oh, are, you, uh, are you game for one more? Sure, Father. I have a practical question about uh, matters of purity and modesty. Uh, the says, please correct me if I'm wrong, but if by your words or actions you cause someone else to sin against purity, you are held responsible for the sin that person committed, in addition to them being personally responsible. In today's world, this happens often through immodest dress. So if the above is true, how is a soul cleansed of that sin committed by the other person who might do so on a regular basis and in the future through impure thought? So St. Mary Magdalene's soul was purified, but how? It may help viewers to hear that immodest people on the beach are like sardines ripe for the devil's picking through the minds of men everywhere. Okay, well, that's a very topical question of the day. I mean, he uses uh, the example of modesty. And can you be responsible for the sins of others? And the answer is yes, you can, certainly. You can be an occasion of sin for others. It's called scandal. And our Lord warned that if you scandalize an innocent soul by leading them into evil, attempting them to evil, then you uh, would be better off having been killed by having a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown overboard than living to give scandal to another soul. Uh, so that's a very serious matter, uh, dressing immodestly in order to uh, de deliberately to provoke others to lust uh, or <clears throat> carelessly do so, you know. Even if you're not deliberately dressing this way, you just say, well, I, I feel more comfortable with this, and uh, so who cares? But uh, God cares, and um, then you can be responsible for others' mortal sins, and that's a horrible responsibility. You know, if you commit your own sins, you can make reparation for them. But how, how do you deal with responsibility for the sins of others that you caused, you know, or at least contributed to, you were an occasion to? Uh, well, actually, you can make reparation for those, too. You can go out of your way to then uh, be, to campaign for modesty. I mean, how does a woman who has an abortion or encourages an abortion, how does she ever make up for that? Is it possible for her to make up? Well, first of all, she repents of it. By the grace of God, she repents of it. God has given her the grace to repent, so he can't be giving her the grace to repent only to say, no, I won't forgive you. He's giving her the grace to repent because he wants to forgive. He died to forgive her. And she has to be humble enough to accept his forgiveness. But how does she make reparation for the consequences of her actions? Well, it's very possible that because of her repentance over the years and because of her words and example, she may save the lives of 10 children who otherwise might have been aborted without her efforts. 
and her repentance. So um, she can she can actually uh, make amends um, for the for the crime that she committed, or encouraged in others to do. You know, I mean, you have Abby Johnson speaking uh, down at Doral Field here on Sunday. She was the director of a Planned Parenthood uh, um, facility, so uh, whatever mortuary, <clears throat> and it suddenly suddenly just hit her what she was doing. I mean, some grace people were praying for. And she's been spending the rest of her life trying to prevent abortions now. And uh, publicly, you know, admitting what she did, taking responsibility for it. And she may well be responsible for saving many more lives than she uh, contributed to, to ending, you know. So, um, so it is possible. As this person uh, asks, uh, is it possible to repair the, the damage? Only by the grace of God, only by sincere repentance and cooperating by the grace of God can this be done. But uh, first of all, it has to do with acknowledging what you're doing and how wrong it is, how evil it is, how damaging it is, and taking responsibility for that, repenting of it, and then uh, following through with the grace of God to... Do everything you can to uh, repair it. It can be done. Thanks be to God, it can be done. Yeah. Very good. Anything else in closing, Patty? Uh Don't ask. Uh, <laughs> except to say, uh, please pray that the event <clears throat> this weekend uh, here is successful because uh, um, the, the leftists are targeting Ohio because they feel that if they're their efforts in Ohio uh, for August 8th and getting Ohioans to turn down the effort to protect the leftist uh, uh, you know, onslaught and thus leave the Ohio ripe for their picking to change the Constitution at will. That's how they see it, anyway. Um, they, they will then take that plan of action to the other states, too mostly red states, to try to gain control that way. So Ohio is kind of like the, 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 the big test case. Maybe it's not Armageddon, but it might be Bunker Hill, you know, in terms of uh, resisting, resisting uh, their plans to seize control of all of the states one by one by one uh, through these ballot initiatives. If we can stop them here, uh, then it's important, you know. So we pray... In fact, we, our Catholic men for Christ the King, always pray the rosary at the courthouse downtown, Hamilton County Courthouse, every first Sunday. We're going to move our rosary to the second Sunday, August 13th, which will be almost the anniversary of the date we started, August 15th, two something years ago, three years ago. <clears throat> and we want that rosary to be a rosary of Thanksgiving because... <clears throat> We want after this rosary rally on August 6th, on Sunday, and the actual vote on August 8th, we're praying that the rosary of August 13th will be a prayer of thanksgiving and relief to God for having approved an initiative that will prevent the leftists from seizing control here in Ohio. Um, and dictating to everybody, you know, uh, the, the perversion of, of everyone's rights, the denial of parental rights. 
So I ask people to pray for that intention. And I ask people to pray for our whole country that uh, our people be converted uh, to our Lord, that they have true faith and true hope and true love for him, that they stop sinning against him, as Our Lady said at Fatima, a prerequisite to having any, any peace in the world uh, or any relief from uh, the, uh, the, the incessant attacks of the devil that are going on right now. Right? Uh, we, have to, we have to do that. We have to pray for that intention. We know that ultimately our Blessed Mother's heart, Immaculate Heart, will triumph. We know Christ the King will triumph. There's no doubt. Uh, as our Lord said, uh, He wants us to have courage because He has overcome the world. We have to have absolute confidence in that. And we have to act as though. But we have to act upon that absolute confidence that we know our efforts will be successful. Every one of them. If not immediately, they will ultimately be successful. We know this for a fact. So we have to act as though we really believe it, have that confidence. Uh, you believe it, I believe it. Well, let's act as though we really believe it. <laughs> act on that confidence. So, anyway, God bless you all. Thank you, and uh, count on your prayers. Thank you, Father, and thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Do Catholics Believe? Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourself and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.